It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. It's Wednesday, and regular listeners know what that means. Coming up in about an hour, we have our uh, political roundtable, Armchair Politics, with two hours of commentary and analysis on uh, headlines uh, from the worlds of politics and current events, and... uh, Political operative Bobby Clayton Walton will be joining our roundtable regulars. Flint's premier political pundit Paul Rosicki on the left and longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter on the right. And uh, I hope you'll stick around for that. But uh, regular listeners also know that for the last, uh, oh, at least couple of weeks, we've been trying to squeeze in as many of the GOP candidates for governor as we could. It started out with 10, and then it got knocked down to five uh, who have uh, made it on the ballot for the primary coming up in a couple of weeks. And uh, one of those five who made it to the ballot joins me by phone uh, this morning. Kevin Rinke is his name. And uh, Kevin, good morning and welcome to the show. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, of course, you know, I, I, however I'm going to vote, I'm uh, I'm alive, so I feel good. Well, I, I'm happy that you're alive. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that means I won't be voting Democratic or not, but... Um, and, and, of course, I'm trying to make fun a little bit of... Uh, one of your TV commercials that talks about why is it that all dead people vote Democratic. Um, where did that come from? Well, uh, you know, Tom, it, it was tongue-in-cheek. It's actually about a very important issue, and that issue is election integrity. And people have questioned the integrity of how the elections were conducted. And I wanted to poke the Democrats because I'm a conservative Republican. And I didn't want to poke any live Democrats because I didn't really want to hurt their feelings. So I poked a dead Democrat and I hurt their feelings anyway. (laughs) You know, the first thing I thought of when I saw that ad, Kevin, is I I wonder if there was an actor standing next to you made up to look like a zombie and... I, I I thought to myself, I wonder if that guy's from Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the funny thing was, is CNN did a big segment on that ad, and they called me a liar, and they said I misrepresented. And you know what their proof was? That they had evidence that dead Republicans voted, too. <laughs> 
that makes it all better, right? Exactly my point. Election integrity is critical for our republic, and the people of Michigan need to have confidence that when they are a citizen of the state, when they are properly registered, when they follow the laws that are in place, they get the opportunity to vote one time and that that vote will be counted one time and that we will have a fair, open, honest, accessible election that is available to all the citizens who are qualified to vote. There's nothing radical about that, Tom. Did election integrity come into question um, just recently with the 2020 election, or um, was it something that was being practiced maybe by both parties uh, before that? Well, throughout the history of our state and our country, you cited Chicago, which was notorious for having integrity issues. And in this particular instance in 2020, the democratically controlled state Supreme Court ruled against the Whitmer administration and Jocelyn Benson on two occasions based on how they conducted the election and that they failed to follow all of the election laws that were in place. And those types of actions are what destabilize and potentially damage our greatest privilege and freedom, the right to choose our leaders. And so, for instance, why would Gretchen Whitmer veto a bill that says if you vote twice, it's a felony? Why would Gretchen Whitmer veto a bill that mandated cleaning up the 520,000 names on voting rolls across Michigan that have been inactive for over 20 years. Why would Gretchen Whitmer veto a bill that calls for voter ID at the same time she calls for a VAX mandate card and an ID to buy a hamburger? Well, let me, let me ask you this. Um, when you talk about passing a law about voting twice, wasn't voting twice already illegal, Kevin? Why, why would we need a new law for that? You know, it, it's interesting, Tom, and I don't know the genesis of it, but the legislature felt that it was necessary to send to the governor either an updated version or interpretation of what would be a common-sense law. And this governor vetoed what would be common sense. It never occurred to me to vote twice in my lifetime. Well, there's a, there's a funny old line from a W.C. Fields movie where he's being introduced to the mayor of some small Midwestern town, and he says, um, Well, good morning, Your Honor. It's indeed an honor. I voted for you in the last election five times. <laughs> <laughs> and that goes back to like the 30s and 40s. So there have been jokes about this, and you mentioned Chicago, which was notorious, and um, coming up later, I'm doing uh, armchair politics. Paul Rosicki, uh, one of the panelists, one of our regulars, is from Illinois originally, and I always tease him about having a uh, 
a box of Dewey ballots in his trunk. Um, <laughs> but those things have been, you know, joked about um, for decades, and all of a sudden, now we have a situation where people don't have any faith in the elections. Do you think we really had enough election shenanigans in 2020 to have changed the outcome? You know, here's my position. Nobody has been able to prove that. They feel that there was enough shenanigans. Not, yeah, but, but not for any lack of trying, Kevin. Absolutely. So my point that I'm trying to be distinctful about is this. As the governor, it's my responsibility to offer through the state an election that they have confidence in. And if people question the confidence of how it is conducted or how the rules and laws are applied, that's dangerous. So there has been irregularities in every election. And was there more in this one because of how mail-in ballots were applied? Was there more in this one because of how drop boxes uh, appeared and were applied? I don't know. But I know this, that we've now had two Democrats question the integrity of a federal election and one Republican. We have seen elections questioned all across our country, in particular in Georgia, in Pennsylvania. That's potentially very, very dangerous for America. And we need to have laws, have rules, that are appropriately applied to ensure that we have integrity on our elections. And that's what I'm striving to do. Kevin, have you ever run for political office before? No, sir. And, and I ask this um, with this in mind. How did your friends and family react when you said, I'm going to run for governor? <laughs> well, did they think maybe you were friends. a little touched or... They had been drinking a little bit? Well, some of my friends thought that it was the craziest thing that I <laughs> had ever considered. But I'll tell you, it was interesting. Um, my family's history dates back to the 1700s, uh, before Michigan was a state. And my wife and my son and I were having a conversation about our future. During a time when Gretchen Whitmore was locking down the state, she wasn't respectful of her office and how she was supposed to represent the people. She wasn't working with the legislature. The judicial branch was rendered ineffective because she circumvented their decisions when they said that she was wrong. And I was really frustrated. And I happened to own a farm in Kentucky. And I said to my wife, maybe we should move to Kentucky will lower our cost of living dramatically, and we can figure out where we will live because I don't want to live in a state with dysfunctional government and with people who selectively choose to apply laws or ignore laws, who pick winners and losers from a government position versus allowing you know, society and our economy to dictate that. And my son said, Dad, why don't you fix it? I've never seen you back away 
from what's right. And I looked at my wife and I said, isn't that the silliest thing you've ever heard? And she said, you know, he's right. Why don't you fix it? And that was the impetus. So when you look at the job of governor, it's to run the business of the state. And I applaud the other candidates who are Republicans running. And let me put it to you like this. The job is to be the chief executive of the state of Michigan, and here are your selections. All of them are the best at what they do. We have the best real estate salesman in Michigan running. We have the best chiropractor in Michigan running. We have the best pastor in Michigan running. We have the best radio talk show host in Michigan running. And we have a candidate who has a proven track record of purchasing and growing private businesses to become the largest in the state and some of the largest in the country, who's participated in two Fortune 250 companies that employed tens of thousands of people across America, who has had a career not only in automotive, but in healthcare services, one a post-acute traumatic brain injury business, and the other as an autism business, both of which were headquartered in Michigan, and who's worked with the legislature for over 30 years and understands who do you want to hire to run your business? And that's the choice that the people of Michigan have to make. And and I want to ask something uh, very quickly. We have a break coming up in about a minute and a half, and um, I, I hope you'll be able to stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more, Kevin. Yes, sir. My pleasure. All right. Um, but but let me ask very quickly in the minute or so we have uh, left, um, how did you make it on the ballot when there were five out of ten candidates who didn't? Well, what did you do I, differently I about because, petitions? I'll tell you. I, I laugh because I've always said that I was either going to win this primary by attrition or popular vote, and I'd, I'd settle for either one. Um, <laughs> we immediately, with our petitions, hired validators to look at our petitions and we actually, before we submitted to the state of Michigan, eliminated signatures that we thought were suspect. And details matter. And the way you run a business successfully is you adhere to details. Every one of the candidates was given the same set of rules and the same set of responsibilities. Unfortunately, some of those candidates took shortcuts or didn't realize that they needed to validate their signatures. Now, we went out personally and got the vast majority of our signatures, but I also hired a company to gather about 5,000 signatures, and I think we submitted 21,000 at the end of the day. Hey, Kevin, uh, I, 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 oh, I hate to interrupt, but uh, we'll have to pick that up when we come back. We're going to let our broadcast partner squeeze a few words in if you're streaming us. We have some messages as well. We'll be right back. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy.
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places. So be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Babies come with lots of decisions. Cloth or disposable? Crib or bassinet? So when it comes to protection, go with the safest, most effective choice, vaccination. Get all the recommended vaccines for your baby by age two to protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention.
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation with uh, a GOP candidate in uh, the primary coming up next month uh, for Michigan Governor, uh, Kevin Rinke. He joins me by phone. Kevin, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. It's my pleasure. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. Um, Kevin, just before the break, we were talking a little bit about the the, peti- the petition brouhaha, and you were explaining the, the steps that you went through to ensure that the petitions you turned in were were valid and credible and, and um, uh, met all the requirements. Um, do you think that's a, a fair test of candidacy, is the petition process? You know, it's new to me, so I don't look at it as was it fair or not. It was simply a byproduct of it was the rules, and if you want to play the game, this is what's required. And so we went out and executed, and that's what leaders do. That's what business people do, apparently, and was proven to be factually. We executed better than some of the other candidates. And um, we're here today running for governor and ideally winning this primary so we can take on Gretchen Whitmer. And um, I I, I don't know if it's a good process. You mentioned the governor in the last segment and and talked and and alluded to um, the fact that she had some of the most strict policies with regard to the state's response to the pandemic and, and COVID-19 in the country. And I, I, I wanted to mention that, that in your professional background, you went from being in the automotive industry to spending some time in the healthcare industry. And I wanted to give you an opportunity, one, to talk about what you bring to the table in terms of a, a skill set to be governor of Michigan, but also how you might have handled this this public health situation differently. Well, I, I think this, and I say it often, business experience is proving to be very valuable for the citizens in the states where business leaders have taken on the governorship. And I'll give you an example. Of the 18 top-performing Republican states during COVID and post-COVID, economically and from a population perspective, 16 of those states are being run by first-time elected business people, not career politicians. So how they approach things is different. How they solve problems is different. How they represent the people, in my opinion, is how our Constitution and our Declaration intended. They are civil servants working on behalf of the people they represent, not looking for a career, not looking for position, not looking for power, but doing the right things. Now, that's how I'm different than the other candidates. As I would have approached the COVID situation, I'm going to use some phrases because Gretchen Whitmer was practicing political science as she auditioned 
for the vice presidency. And her actions mirrored the actions of Joe Biden. And let's look at the results of her actions. And by the way, Michigan was extreme versus the rest of the country with lockdowns, mandates, you name it. Her actions cost our seniors their lives. Just like in New York where Schumer ordered senior citizens with COVID back into nursing homes, this governor did that and then fibbed to the people about the number of people that died because of it. A travesty. This governor picked winners and losers in our business environment with absolutely hypocritical decisions. She allowed big box businesses to be open and closed citizens of the state who were struggling to provide for their families and yet selling the same products as the big box. So those businesses were hurt. Those families were hurt. What this governor doesn't tell the people about is that her decisions caused Michigan to lose more small businesses per capita than any other state in America. Her decisions caused Michigan women to lose more jobs per capita than any other state in America. Her decisions hurt our children educationally and emotionally. And her decisions, even with the influx of COVID dollars, which were really the citizens' dollars to begin with, Michigan still had the largest decline in personal income, 9.8% of any state in America. And at the end of the day, when she failed to get the job, came back to Michigan, she went into her basement and was unheard of and unseen until the election cycle. And now she's trying to pander to people and twist like politicians do. She brags about having 98% of the schools open when she shut down 100% of the schools that she was in authority to shut down. It, it, I, it, it's amusing to me how this governor will take and twist the truth in an attempt to get people to vote or to say that she's working hard when she disappeared for two years because the people of Michigan disagreed with the decision she made. How would you have addressed the, the, uh, the onset of COVID-19 differently? Well, I would have looked at the medical science behind it. And very early on, we were able to determine that our seniors and people with certain health issues were at the greatest risk. We were also able to determine that our children were at the least risk and that we could have allowed school to continue in in-person learning. We didn't have to apply all of the mandates that when the Supreme Court said to this governor that they were illegal she just went to health and human services and had him declare a different type of an emergency so she could implement versus working with the legislature we should have protected our seniors we should have brought to the attention of those with pre-existing conditions that put them at a greater risk 
and attempted to have them consider various treatments that were available or after the experimental vaccines were released, and they are experimental, even today, they have not passed the status that was used prior to COVID to validate a vaccine. So in my book, that's an experimental drug. Now, those should have been offered as well as the protocols that we started to see come out. Instead of making them illegal or restricting access, in threatening doctors that if they prescribe them, that they would lose their licenses. This was like third world. This was like China. This was like Russia. No, I, I, I understand that. And, and the uh, Michigan Supreme Court ruling that you're talking about um, actually wasn't about the actions she took, but the, um, the authority on which she based her authority to make those uh, those actions, the the change that the legislature was looking for in uh, existing laws regarding emergency powers, and and they've made some adjustments to that. Um, but would you have uh, uh, recommended masks and vaccinations? I would have said that it is the right of the people to choose. I would not okay. have allowed businesses to fire people who chose not to participate with the vaccine. I would have not allowed businesses to say, you have to do this, because that was infringing on our legal rights. To the science was to be determined. It wasn't proven science. Two of the... Uh, of the, the promises that Gretchen Whitmer made um, or talked about in, in her campaign when she became governor. Uh, one, of course, her famous slogan, um, we need to fix the damn roads. And the other was she talked about transparency and sort of hinted that she might consider um, removing the uh, FOIA ban that exists with regard to the Michigan legislature and the governor's office. Um, first of all, where are we on the on the damn roads, and where should we be? And um, and and the other is, would you favor eliminating the um, uh, shields? around uh, the legislature and the governor's office with regard to FOIA requests or freedom, freedom of information requests? I, I believe that government needs to be transparent. And I don't think that it is right when government hides behind laws that they force their citizens to comply with. And I... I, I until I was running, I didn't even realize, because we hear of FOIA and we think that it is applied nationally, I didn't realize that Michigan had another layer of FOIA that was applied to government. And I, 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 I question myself. I don't see the value. I don't understand why government can't be honest to the people. Yeah, there so, are two states in the country 
that have exemptions for the governor and the legislature uh, with regard to FOIA requests. And that's, uh, I, I believe I'm it's open. Massachusetts and Michigan, I think. Yeah, I, I, I'm open. You know what? Uh, there's no need to have a level of FOIA that I'm aware of. And I would move to eliminate that and do it immediately. What's there to hide? We represent the people. Government's going to do some things right. Government's going to do some things wrong. And when we do things wrong, we need to be accountable to the people. We can't hide behind the truth. There's no value. That's why people don't trust government today. That's why people question, in many instances, the media and how they report issues. And I don't think that's right. Nobody's perfect. When you make a mistake, you admit it. You explain how you came to that conclusion. And, and that's how real people maintain relationships. That's how real people operate in their lives. And I think there's value to that. Kevin, it's it's easy to talk about the... Um, uh, failures of an existing administration when you're challenging that administration in a political campaign. But what are some of the things that you think are important issues that you would uh, want to pursue going forward? I, I have put out very specific policies, and I find it interesting because the other Republican candidates who initially declined to support those policies, suddenly are starting to say, well, we need to review them. And my first policy is this. I want to eliminate the personal income tax, the 4.25% that is applied to the people of Michigan, and give the people of Michigan back roughly $12 billion of their dollars. They know how to spend their money better than Lansing, and in these times of high cost and high inflation, we should give the people back that money. You know, what's interesting is wages have gone up dramatically, putting people in different tax brackets, which means Michigan is getting more tax revenue dollars, but the purchasing power of those wages has gone down so much that other than paying taxes, people are getting less. And the quickest remedy is to give the people back their money. If we do that, if we do that, Michigan's government will not be struggling. And let me share some numbers with you. Rick Snyder's last budget was $55.4 billion. The budget that was just approved is roughly $77 billion, just under a 30% increase in three and a half years under Gretchen Whitmer. If we give the people back $12 billion, we would have the largest budget in the history of the state of Michigan for this government to operate on by over $8 billion. Now, people come and they say, well, how are you going to replace that revenue? And remember that there were nine states that outperformed Michigan economically and from population growth perspective during COVID and post-COVID. And those states are... Texas, Florida, Nevada, Wyoming, Tennessee, 
Washington, Alaska, and the last two are on the East Coast. Michigan would be the only state with no personal income tax. We would have the largest budget moving forward in our history, and the people would spend that money, and we'd generate roughly $700 million of taxable revenue off of returning the $12 billion. We'd also generate money because people wouldn't leave the state for six months and one day to go to Florida, to go to Texas, to go to these non-personal income tax states, and they would be spending money in Michigan. And we would also attract people. Remember, we lost 16,000 more people last year than moved into the state. And that creates a higher tax burden. And the last, the coup d'etat that Lansing doesn't want you to know, is if we give back and eliminate the personal income tax, six of the nine states with no personal income tax have a lower individual tax burden than Michigan would have after we gave them that money back. The other three are equal to the tax burden that Michigan would have. This is a good thing for the people. Lansing doesn't like it because they think their job is to spend money. As a businessman, I think my job is to invest wisely, to have government perform versus not perform, and to stay in its lane. Well, Kevin, let's talk a, a little bit about that, that 30% increase uh, overall um, on the, the state budget, which... Um, Governor Whitmer is expected to sign today after $20 million or something worth of uh, vetoes. But the, um, the concern that I would have and that I would bring up is that a lot of that money that makes up that, that larger budget is coming from uh, COVID relief money which is a one-time windfall for the state. And it's, it's a common battle cry for Republicans to talk about cutting taxes, but also to reduce government and government spending. And very often we see the tax cuts happen, but then when it comes down to you know shrinking government and and eliminating some of the the government expenses, that part never seems to happen. Um, what? How do you feel about that? What are the things that government needs to do, and what are some of the things that we could do without? Well, the people of Michigan need to realize this: that two years ago, with COVID relief funds that you're speaking of that were returned to the state from the federal government, this governor spent roughly $91 billion. And while those funds are non-recurring, she created entities and goals and objectives that won't be completed during the time frame that the state can access those funds. When those projects are timed out, She's going to have to raise taxes to continue funding those, and the people's tax burden will go up. We do not have a conducive environment for the citizens of the state of Michigan from a taxable perspective or the small businesses to be successful in. And that's why we are losing businesses. 
And if we don't change, the state of Michigan is going to suffer dramatically. We need to be more than a tourist destination. We need to have an environment that rewards families, that rewards businesses. We need to have an educational system that performs. And there is no accountability. Now, when I talk about the 30% increase, that's a good comparison against Rick Snyder's last budget. And people need to be aware of that. She spent the COVID money, and there's over $7 billion that's currently unspent. So the challenge is this. Michigan is collecting record amounts of tax revenue today because of the increases in wages and the changes in taxable uh, structures that are being applied to the citizens. And we're going to have to look at where we allocate those record numbers of dollars to get value for the citizens of Michigan. And there are all sorts of questions that need to be answered. There's 660 departments in the state of Michigan. And, and I feel like we're just getting started, Kevin. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. There's 48,000 employees in the state of Michigan. And a, a, a large percentage of them haven't even been called back to work by this governor. But they're at home getting paid. And the people of Michigan are bearing the brunt of that, while they're also bearing the brunt of the highest cost of living in, uh, increases we've had in over 40 years, the highest inflation that we've had in over 40 years. And those costs are a direct result of Joe Biden and Gretchen Whitmer's actions. Well, and they Kevin, need to be held responsible for that. Kevin, I can't believe how fast the time has gone, and we're almost out of time, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you. Do you have a website you'd like to share? Yes, you can go to Kevin Rinky for Governor or Rinky for Michigan. Um, I, I'm truly excited and humbled to serve the people of Michigan. Um, and I hope that I earn their vote August 2nd. I'm the only candidate that has the experience, the finances, and the Rolodex to bring people to Lansing to defeat Gretchen Whitmer. Give me that chance, and we'll make Michigan great again. Well, Kevin, it's been an honor and a privilege, and uh, best of luck to you. Thank you so much, and I hope that we get a chance to talk in the future. Okay, take care. Take care, sir. That was Kevin Rinke. He is a uh, GOP candidate in the primary for Michigan governor, that primary election uh, coming up in uh, about two weeks. There are five candidates uh, in all, uh, GOP candidates on the ballot. There were five that didn't make it on the ballot because of problems with petitions. Um, but uh, I think we've had uh, at, at least three of the candidates that are on the ballot on the show, and there are two more. We're going to try and get them on. Don't forget, coming up at the top of the hour, we'll be kicking off uh, today's edition of Armchair Politics and Political Operative Bobby Clayton Walton will be joining our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter. In the meantime, we're going to take a short break, let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well.
Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community Schools. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Long Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan, Flipflip Technology, Mark Community College, Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology.
Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Senator, it is our pleasure to speak with you here tonight. As Republican Minority Leader in the Senate, your views on affairs of state and on the political scene are always in demand. Senator, what's new? Well, if I gave you a direct answer, it would be almost a prejudgment of an issue on which testimony is still to be taken. (laughs) Senator, your political flamboyance is such that when coupled with your flowery oratory, there are those among the opposing party who say that you are actually nothing but a buffoon. I do not disagree. (laughs) Senator, I wonder if we can get some insight on your colorful career. Well, I know of no reason why we shouldn't. Well, then, why did you decide to become a United States Senator? Because that was my first job after I got out of high school. <laughs> Mr. Uh, Mr. Van Voorhees. Now, Senator, not to bring up a sore point, but you did nominate Mr. Goldwater in Chicago, did you not? So to speak. <laughs> Senator, are you denying it? I think so. <laughs> well, regardless... What do you think Mr. Goldwater and Mr. Miller should do during the coming years? I think they can very usefully get a lot of indoctrination by going to any party county headquarters, stuffing envelopes, getting to see people, develop a poise uh, as they see candidates and others come in, uh, run errands and so forth, familiarize themselves with party organization and machinery, and then it becomes part of their nature and it makes for uh, adeptness in the political field. Mr. Swayze. Senator, do you think the Republican Party will stage a comeback in 1968? I know of no reason why it should. (laughs) Uh, Well, in your own mind, do you see a candidate emerging for 1968? No, I don't. Well, then where do you think the Republican candidate will come from in 1968? Out of the woodwork. Senator, how are the Democrats reacting to the news that Mr. Goldwater may step down as head of the Republican Party? They resent it, and they resent it bitterly. Continue the questioning now with Mr. St. Ledger. Senator, there's a move afoot to curtail the filibuster. I think I can say this. Excuse me, are my eyes deceiving me or is that a naked girl sitting up there in the Senate balcony? I think one can say reasonably that this has occupied the attention of the Senate since the 9th of January. Looking back, Senator, over your career, has there been one outstanding statement that you've made to your colleagues in your many years in the Senate? There has been. May I ask what it was? Little Tom Thumb pulled out a plum, as you know. (laughs) We noticed that you were conspicuous by your absence. 
absence at the Washington Senators' opening game this year, an event which normally attracts the political leaders of both parties. Why was that? First, I had not been invited. Secondly, I, there was no hint that I would be invited. We, we understand. Third, I was not invited by anybody. <laughs> uh, we're a little short of time, sir. Fourth, I would not go if I was invited. No, we, we understand. There were two reasons why I wouldn't go. <laughs> wasn't an important question, sir. My center duties here are taxing enough as it is, and they are continuous. I would not like to see the implication go out. Uh, we have been talking with the Senate Minority Leader. Uh, we're sure he has enjoyed it as much as we have. I don't think so. <laughs> This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Just as a play 
Pilots, get off of my lawn! We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on, go on, get out of here. <laughs> 